0: We're going to talk about spiritual formation, becoming the people that Jesus wants us to be. And I think when Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that um, in the New Living, it says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Or if you read the NIV, it may say to have life and to have it to the full. Or one more time, if you want to go with the ESV, to have life and have it abundantly that is what jesus promises and so we want to talk about that like how do we bridge that gap because i think the lived reality for many of us many of us who may even have been christians for a very long time is that when we read that passage we feel a tension like do you guys feel that tension that says like jesus promises life to the full and yet when I look at my life and the way I experience my life, I'm not sure I'm experiencing life to the full. And so this is what we're going to talk about. That t- and, and kind of How can we go about beginning to resolve that, that tension? Now look, we live in a fallen, sinful world. I don't need to tell you that. You already know that. We are fallen and sinful people. I don't need to tell you that either, I don't think. You know, at least hopefully I don't have to tell you that. Um, I think we all, we all feel that. We know that. So are we going to reach perfection in this life? Are we going to be Jesus in this life? Well, no, of course not. But it's about learning and living into this life to the full and the idea that maybe even possibly we could start to experience that even here on earth. You know, it is one of those, like I said, I think we feel the tension of this we believe Jesus, but yet when we read this passage, I'm not sure we fully believe Jesus. We go, yeah, okay, yeah, Jesus, life to the full, but I mean, what does that really mean? You know, when we start redefining what life to the full is or something, because we want, we want to match up our life experience with what Jesus says here, and, and, and it becomes difficult. And so we're gonna talk about this morning specifically. So this is a kind of an introduction into the series about what we're doing. We're gonna talk about this morning, how we begin to set up rhythms of life or to cultivate a way of life that helps us to, to experience or to live into or live from, I should say, live from the new life that Jesus promises. And so if you're somebody who is living maybe with, with anxiety, you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with feeling rushed all the time, or you, you know, you wish you had more time for others, but you're kind of like, I don't have that, you know, like that you're, you're feeling that, that tension of going, you know, I just, I wish, um, you know, I had more time to read the Bible. You know, it's all great. I know I should read the Bible. I just don't have time to do it. Or, you know, I feel adrift. I feel like I'm just kind of floating through life. Or maybe you feel like I'm just, I'm just not that intentional of a person. I just kind of take it as it comes. Again, like feeling adrift a or lost or unintentional or maybe, maybe even there you, you, you experience a feeling of, of, of being hollow. I hope at least one of those things probably touched on some sort of feeling that you have in your life maybe one way or, or another. Do you know what? For me, I'm not a person who's racked with anxiety. I'm not a person because I'm the unintentional person <laughs> who floats through life, who just goes, hey, take it as it comes. You know? like, so for me, like, I know myself and this is something so uh, my my wife Alyssa and I were were talking just the other day when we were having a date and one of the things that that we said and this is one of the reasons that I became so excited to teach uh, in this series is that we began to to talk about how COVID in a lot of ways was was a reset for us that we had habits in our lives that we had ways in our lives that were unhealthy and look, I know there are quite a few of us in church that have small children, and they have a good way of disrupting your life. You know, that, I mean, that's just the reality, you know? I mean, like, you know, we're kind of, you know, it's, it's, and even there, as the kids get older, I'm finding it's new distractions and new disruptions, you know, whether it's the eight-year-old or the three-year-old, you know, like, the, the disruptions are different, but they're still there. And so I could keep making excuses. And again, there are seasons of life, and there's, you know, there's grace. So I don't want this to come across like it's like this, like, I don't know, this sort of like legalistic, you know, like, get your life in order, you know, like that sort of thing. I don't want to, like, I want you to hear my heart before we ever start this. As Alyssa and I have been making changes in our life to the way that we're going about our lives, I find I'm experiencing more of, I think, that life to the full that Jesus has an offer. As for me, like, I live more intentionally. And even there, as I live more intentionally, maybe it takes some of the anxiety off my wife. You know, like, I mean, things like that, where it's like the two of us coming together, working together on changing some of our habits, some of our rhythms of life, in many ways has led to us experiencing life. That doesn't mean our house isn't sometimes an insane asylum. It is, okay? It is, very much it is. And again, this is all a work in progress. I mean, we're figuring this out. So I'm not standing up here, you know, speaking down to you from the mountain as somebody who has this all figured out. I'm speaking to you as somebody who's beginning to experience the reality of like changing some habits and rhythms in my life to look like Jesus, how that big surprise is actually good for me. (laughs) And so I want to be able to share that with you guys. And this was something that happened, uh, again, like, you know, I, I, I just finished up I mean, you guys are probably sick of hearing it now. Many of you have been in church a while. Like, I just finished up my, my MA. Um, and through that, one of the things that really... Th- this, this, again, was something that just came back, and it just kept coming back. Something I just kept looking into and, and studying and kind of going, like, where has this been my whole life? Why have I missed this? Like, I've been a Christian since I was 17. Why have I missed this for so much of my life? And so I realized even there as a pastor... That i stood up oftentimes and i preached and things but i realized I, i think in a lot of ways guys i was failing to help you this is like that kind of self sort of examination those things that are important like i realized like probably in a lot of ways i was failing failing you because i was giving you information i was giving you lots of information like i'm a person who loves information i can give you information all day but I realized it wasn't just me to you. It was me to me. I was like giving myself information, learning all kinds of things, but I wasn't so sure that I was being changed like the way I wanted to be. And so it was like a hard moment, a hard time where I just had to walk through this tension again of reading Jesus say, I offer life to the full and going, why am I not experiencing that? Because I want to experience that, but... But as your as pastor, I want you to experience that too. And so that's what this series is all, is all about. Because I think that um, basically, here's, here's kind of the premise of, of the series. Your system of life, your way of life, the system that you've created of life is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting. So if you're somebody who's racked with anxiety, or if you're somebody who just you know, feels adrift in this world, it's probably because you've set up a way of life. You have a system of life, a way you go about life that leads to those things. The systems and the habits and you know, the stories and everything, the stories you believe, the habits that you've formed, the things that you worship are all forming you into the people that you are. And so the systems that we've designed in our lives, whether intentional or unintentional, give us the results that we're getting. And so this series is not so much gonna focus on the stories we believe necessarily, those are important, we talk about those all the time on a Sunday. In, In many ways this series is different from anything we've ever done before because it's very topical <laughs> and it's very, you know, I think very, very practical. Not that the series we do before weren't, um, but we tend to go exegetically through books. So after this, we're going to be walking through the book of Mark. Okay, so like, you know, you can brace yourself for that, um, but we're going to start walking through the book of Mark. But this series is, is a bit different because what we're going to do is focus on spiritual habits, spiritual practices, or as like Dallas Willard or um, others, many others have, have coined, you know, or people long before <laughs> Dallas Willard or Richard Foster uh, coined it, spiritual disciplines. We just don't usually like the word discipline, so I was using habits. Um, but, but yeah, these, these ideas of, of like spiritual habits and spiritual disciplines. And, I, and what I recognize too is this series in many ways may challenge you <sighs> it's challenged me all of these things that we're going to be talking about are things that have deeply challenged me and they may even offend you sometimes again i'm going to say like you know i don't know how you get offended at yourself but like again it's those times of like self-reflection like there's been times where i've been like i you know you know you get really defensive sometimes i don't know if you guys ever have that in your inner person you get like defensive like you know like so there may be those times but what i want you to do rather than just getting angry at me first Maybe maybe second you get angry at me, that's fine. But first, or like, let's, let's take a step back and ask yourself, why does it make me feel that way? And if it's because I'm wrong and I'm an, I'm an idiot, I'll put my hand up, listen, seriously, I, I, I know myself, I'm not perfect. You know me, you know I'm not perfect. Like, I'm, I'm, I am willing to experience correction. Seriously, really truly. Okay, so if you step back and you go, I just think he's really wrong on that, please bring it to me, don't keep it to yourself and, you know, like, bring it to me. But what I think, at least in my experience, as I was experiencing those moments of, like, defensiveness and all that, I realized it was pressing on something. (laughs) It was pushing on something that I didn't want it to push on. You know, like a doctor sometimes, you know, like, you know, they press on hell. Does it hurt here, here, here? You know, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, there it is. You know, like, and and I think this can, this could do that for us. Okay, so I want us to try and see this series more like that. We're like, there's going to be times where it may press on us and it may hurt. But, like, lean into that. And like, let's together as a church seek healing so that we can together as a church experience the life to the full that Jesus has on offer. And we can show that to a world that not only do we desperately need it, but the world around us desperately needs it. And so my prayer for this series, and I know Luke has too, as we've been praying for, together and separately for this series, has been that this could be a fundamental hinge point for many of us in our church, where we look back and say that was the moment where like, I realized I needed to make some changes in my life and now I have grown so much from that time until you know this time, whatever, X amount of time, you know, like, that you begin to see, see growth. Uh, and so I think this the series has the potential to shape and to change who we are becoming. Okay? But again, I feel like I need to cycle back around to this as we begin the series is this, salvation, is a gift that you receive, okay? Because we're gonna talk a lot during this series about things that we can do, all right? And so this has to be at the forefront of our mind. You, you can't earn your salvation. You're not going to do it, you can't do it. There's no amount of good works or nice things or becoming a better person that you could do that would ever make you right with God. It is coming to Jesus and receiving the gift of salvation that he has given to us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. All right, so I just wanna make sure as we start this, there's no confusion about that. We are saved by Jesus from our sin and our rebellion. And here's the thing, into a life of obedience, into a life that I think looks like this. Knowing Jesus, becoming, being with Jesus, being like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. That's what we are saved into. And even there, I want to make clear, I think obedience to Christ is also a gift. That ability comes from the Spirit. And so everything, and we'll get to this, and especially next week too, everything that we're talking about flows. As we read John chapter 15, that's like a key text for this. Everything that we're talking about flows out of the vine. We live from the vine, okay? We are the branches. We live from the vine. It is Jesus. It is the Spirit who who nourishes us, who gives us the ability to live this life to the full. All right, got that out of the way. So here's the thing, I think first and foremost, Jesus, you know, in his famous passage, right, calls us to be what? Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, he calls us to be his disciples, right? Well, he calls us to go and make disciples, but I think that assumes that we are his disciples, right? And so in Matthew 28, 19, uh, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, teaching them to observe or to obey, again, depending on your translation, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is one thing I think in the Great Commission that we miss. We talk a lot about the go part of it. And as you can hear from my accent, I have, I've gone to another country okay you know um so like you know i get it like that's that's important that's you know that is important to go whether i'm you know whether i'm from here and i live here and this is where i minister you know like or i go to you know timbuktu or wherever it may be like going that's important but here's where i think we've missed he says teaching them to do what to obey now again that's not necessarily connected to Being initially, you know, initial like salvation, but once we are saved, what are we to do? We're to obey, and to obey who Jesus, we're to obey. Jesus. Dallas Willard actually calls this the great omission. He says that as churches, we've been really, really good at telling people like, you need to be saved from your sins. This is great. But then we like neglect that whole part. Like we're afraid, we're terrified of being labeled legalists. afraid of like, you know, like we want salvation to be by faith alone. We believe that. Hey, thumbs up on that. But we can't stop there. Right. The problem is, is that we tend to stop there and we don't go to them teaching them to obey. And so we need, to, we need to do that. So teaching obedience, I think, to Jesus' commands forms the heart of disciple-making. As we read John 15, right? It was all about living from the vine, do what I do, love one another, right? It was, it was all of that kind of, um, when it comes to being a disciple, obedience is a key part of it. And so there's a problem then if we are not both encouraged to respond to God's saving gospel, but also not, we also need to be encouraged to live the life promised in Christ. So discipleship is not one or the other. It's, it's both, right? It's both elements together. That's discipleship. I am saved by grace through faith to live the life that Jesus has called me to live. So what is a disciple then, (laughs) right? Because that begs the question, right? When we read, go and make disciples, what is a disciple? Well, here's just, I think, again, we're going to fly through this really, really quickly. Are we going to get into an in-depth definition of disciple? No. But I think just a really good summarizing term that maybe is more helpful um, for for many of us because we don't really talk about people being uh, disciples too much anymore. That's not like a word necessarily in the common vernacular, right? Instead, we use words like, Apprentice, right? So like, I think a better way, not a better way, obviously it's not better than what Jesus said, but like a way that can be helpful for us to understand it is to think of a disciple as an apprentice. Now, I know at least one of you is doing an apprenticeship right now or an internship, right? And, and what is involved in an apprenticeship? What is involved in that? Well, you learn from somebody what they do, how to do it. Right, and maybe even there, like, I I don't know. In my mind, I just immediately think of, like, a blacksmith or something like that. You know, like, you don't just walk in and, like, start forging horseshoes, right? No, you see how the guy who knows how to forge horseshoes does it, and then you say, how do you do that? And he shows you and teaches you how to make a horseshoe so that then you can make a horseshoe, right? Um, It's probably a dumb example, but maybe, hopefully, it's helpful to you. I don't know. I don't usually think of horseshoes. These are like, but... Uh, but here I am. Uh, So anyway, it helps us to understand what it means to follow Jesus, to be with Jesus, right? We're learning from the master. Like Jesus is the master, we are the apprentice. We are learning from the master as we are with him. If you're gonna learn from the master, you have to be with him, in proximity to him, know him, know what he's like, Know, know who he is, what he does, how he does what he does, like all of those things, like you need to be with in proximity. And so it's the idea of being with Jesus. It's also that idea of being like the master, right? An apprenticeship. It's learning what they do and learning to do it yourself and then going and doing what they did, right? And so so one of the things I realized in our church is that we lacked a clear path to discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? And I think those three phrases are really, really key. More than just adding a bunch of extra programs to our church, we want to help people. We want to help you be with Jesus, be like Jesus, And do what he did. And so, in being a disciple then, if we we just take the Gospel of Mark, and this I think will illustrate the point. In Mark 1.17, Jesus called to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. In chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. In chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, we read Jesus going up on a mountain and calling out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. In chapter 8, verse 34, the crowd called, um, sorry, Jesus called to the crowd uh, to join his disciples. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. And in 10.21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. This was the rich young ruler. There is still one thing you haven't done, Jesus told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Being a follower of Jesus involves following him. <laughs> Not just with our brains, but with our whole body with our heart soul mind and strength the very core of our being everything it's not just assenting to a set of beliefs but it is a way of life Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 verse 29 to 30 take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light we are then to take on the yoke of Jesus. What does that mean? Quick explanation. Okay, when people, Jesus was, at a very basic level, you know, a rabbi. He was called rabbi often, and he didn't say, no, no, I'm not a rabbi. You know, he he accepted that, I'm a rabbi, right? And rabbi in Hebrew means teacher, or Aramaic means teacher. And often, uh, a rabbi would invite people to take on their yoke, right? So, and what that meant was their way of life. Calling disciples, saying, come follow me, do what I do, be like me right That's at a basic you know, core what, what a rabbi would do. they would call some disciples and they would say, hey, come follow me, do what I do, be like me, get to know me right And so they would they would call and say come take take my yoke because what is a yoke what does a yoke do? I understand the Irish you know we can confuse that here in Ireland where everything is a yoke, but right when we think about right, but when we think about like a yoke in its' very like literal sense, right we think of like you know, like a team of horses or oxen or something like that with like, you know, or, or mules, whatever, with a, with a yoke on them, right? You have a pair of animals wearing a yoke. What does it do? Like it helps them to be able to pull together. It helps them to be, you know, you can direct them, you can guide them, and it helps them to be able to pull incredibly heavy things, right? Um, and so think of a yoke like that. And Jesus is inviting us and he invites his disciples to take on his yoke. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so, if we, wanna, we wanna take on that yoke of Jesus. Because unlike the yoke of this world, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, and so we must be intentional about cultivating a way of life that leads us to in that life to the full. So how do I do this, right? I've talked a lot about it. How do I do this? How do I begin to experience that? Let's circle back around, because I said your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. So let's ask the question then. What is your system? And I think the reality is, for most of us, we go, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of, I've get, you know, we have certain things in our calendars or in our diaries or whatever that we, we do that we know we're going to do. You know, I know I'm going to go to work. I know I'm going to come home from work, right? We have, But for most of us, we haven't intentionally, in any way really, intentionally crafted a way of life, a, a regular life. And so what we're going to talk about is what um, some of kind of the ancient fathers called a, a rule of life, which rule comes from Latin regulara, which again, you can imagine we get our word regular. What it means is a regular life. What is your regular life? And let's be intentional about putting together a life that is regular, that makes sense, and that helps us to grow closer to Jesus. We all have this regular life, this, um, but we want to be intentional then about developing a way of life that leads us to experience the life of jesus because the things that we do and this is going to sound ridiculous so you're going to be like of course the things that you do shape who you are (laughs) and you're kind of like yeah of course except we don't think about that right i mean how many of us think about the things that we do right before bed you know they—they like. People will say that the things that you do when you wake up and right before bed are two of the most fundamentally shaping things that you do during a day. How many of us think about that? As I'm binge watching Seinfeld on Netflix right now. Right, like, how many of us ever think, like, I'm I'm not thinking about that very well, about like, what is this doing to me as I go to sleep having just watched an episode of Seinfeld? Or, you know, there's a lot worse things. I mean, even though it's not, it's not great, but there's a lot of worse things I could watch on Netflix, you know? I don't know what you're watching, you know? Like, you know, but like many of us, that's like kind of our nightly routine, isn't it? Throw on the television, maybe fall asleep while something's on, and then eventually go to bed. At least, maybe some of us with children, that's kind of, at least, that's my, maybe that's just me. Okay, that's, that's like me and my wife. That's like our routine often. But like, what are, you know, it's so like, it's asking the question, well, what, what should I do before I go to bed? Maybe I should make some better decisions with my life. <laughs> that's... Me being self-critical right now. Uh, Maybe I should make some better decisions with my life. Right? But the things that we do, the way that we craft our life, being intentional about it. And this is hard. This is hard. And you know, sometimes, like, I like watching TV. You know? Like, I like doing that before bed. But it may mean maybe there's something better that I should do. And so I think in a way this is hard. And sometimes we read again Jesus saying my yoke is easy and my burden is light and we're kind of like, are you sure about that Jesus? Are you sure that that's easy and light cuz it doesn't really seem like it. But I think it is. Like and I think it's important then as we talk about this, that we don't just talk about the cost of discipleship, right? They say like, well, it'll cost me Seinfeld in the evening or whatever it is I'm watching. Um, You know, it'll cost me my television show. I'm not saying it has to, okay, that's just, understand that, like, you know what I mean? It may cost you something. You're like, well, you know, it's very costly. Or or even there, maybe you've read Bonhoeffer's work, The Cost of Discipleship. Literally one of the greatest Christian books I've ever read in my entire life. It's profound, it's life-changing. If you haven't read it, read it, okay? It's one of the, like, a lot of people say it's like the greatest theological work of, like, the 20th century. Whether they're right or not, I don't know. I just know it's a really good book, okay? But it's called The Cost of Discipleship because it does cost something, right? Following Jesus does cost something. But here's the thing we don't normally talk about, the cost of non-discipleship. You see, we we always go like, oh, look at what, you know, Jesus is calling me to give this up or that up. Like, we don't think about the cost of non-discipleship. Because, again, coming stating the obvious, we make choices in our lives and then eventually what ends up happening is our choices make us, right? The cost of non-discipleship, of me not being intentional about my discipleship, it costs me something. I am being formed, whether I like it or not, okay? And that's something I think is really, really important as we look at this. You are becoming someone. And we like to think we are the commander of our own ship, the master of our own destiny. And I just ruined that poem. But like, you know, Invictus. Anyway, like, we like to think that that's who we are. But it's an illusion. Get this. So back here quite a few years ago, there's, there's a shop, a big shop in the States and called Target. Okay? And they're like, they're everywhere. They're like in every town. It's, they're, they're like nearly as big as like Walmart or, you know, Tesco or something. You know, it's like same sort of thing. Okay? And they figured out. That if they started watching what people were buying, they could find, they could like manipulate their way into a gold mine, quite literally. Okay, because what they discovered was that the people who spend the most money in a shop tend to be pregnant women. And if you can get them coming to your shop, they will come back forever. They will like continue to come back in the long term. And so they asked the question how do we figure out if somebody's pregnant so that we can target them? and keep them coming back. And they said, well, what if we look at shopping habits? And they started to notice, hmm. Pregnant women, about the 20th week, start to buy a lot of lotion. Like an inordinate amount of lotion, like way more than anybody else. And then as it goes on, they start to buy other things, like vitamins, loads of vitamins, way more vitamins. And they actually figured out 28 indicators that would indicate if somebody was possibly pregnant. And so like they could predict, it was something like 87% accuracy or something like that if a person, if a shopper was pregnant. And what they figured out is if they can get a pregnant woman coming, once she has the baby and the man too, they're exhausted, right? Because that's what happens when you have kids. Like you literally are like a walking zombie, okay? And so when you go to the shop, you don't just go to a shop for nappies and formula, you go, if I can get my groceries as well, that's wonderful. If I can buy, you know, my clothes, if I can get everything that I need here, great. I won't go other places. And so, Literally a gold mine for Target, right? And so they began sending out coupons to people to try and get women who were pregnant to come into the shop. So they were sending coupons for vitamins, coupons for lotions, coupons for nappies, coupons for all of these sorts of things. And then on top of that, they realized, people may get smart on here and start realizing that we know things that that we don't want them to know we know. And so they started putting things like, okay, here's your your coupon for formula, here's your coupon for nappies, and for a lawnmower. <laughs> and, and, you know, and here's a coupon for a, you know, a, a case of beer. You know, like all those things that like a pregnant woman's not going to go by, probably, um, at, least, at least we hope not. Um, right? And so like, th- they disguised it to make it seem random. But there was nothing random about it. All that to say, long story to say, you are not the commander of your own destiny. Somebody is behind a computer figuring out how they can manipulate you into becoming the person they want you to be. You are not the free spirit you think you are. And so, like, we're being formed. You are being formed, whether it's unintentional or intentional. Here's where I get out a graph. Here's a good one for, un- uh, for uh, inten- unintentional spiritual formation. The environment that you live in, right? This is kind of, we just kind of go about our life and we believe certain stories and we get into certain habits and we have certain relationships and all of those things together culminate in us becoming somebody. Whether it's intentional, it's you know, it's unintentional, this is just kind of how we're formed. Over time, through experiences, we become a certain kind of person, right? And so we want to go to the opposite of that. We want to look at intentional spiritual formation. The stories and the teaching that I'm allowing into my life. The practices, not just like, not just mindless habits, but the practices that I am forming and the community that I'm a part of and letting that shape who I become through the, holy, the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we want to be intentional about our spiritual formation. Just to put those uh, side by side there. There you go. Um, we can look at that for the next few seconds. Like I said, you already have a regular life, a rule of life. You just may not realize what it is. And you may not realize what it's doing to you, who you're becoming. And so, we just need to realize everything that you do is a spiritual discipline because it's forming your spirit. Again, whether that's, you know, watching uh, softcore porn on Netflix before bed, or whether that's, um, you know, I don't know, snacking throughout the day, (laughs) you know, like unintentionally, you know what I mean? Like, it is shaping who you become. It's forming your spirit. Yeah, sir. There you go. Yeah. So everything you do is a spiritual discipline because it is forming your spirit. Whether that's when you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is you, like, read the news. <laughs> that's not a great way. I've, I've, like, learned that's not a great way to start the day. Um, the news is pretty depressing. <laughs> like, you know, I have, like, the independent app on my phone or, like, the Irish Times app and it, you know, like, I started realizing, like, everything I'm reading here is just made me depressed. You know, it's like people who, you know, who are horribly sad writing op-ed columns or, you know, writing questions in, or it's people who, you know, like, tragedy happens, you know, like, all these kinds of things. And, and you know, and like, again, that's forming who you are, whether it's, like, politics or, you know, again, you're reading about what, you know, Michal Martin said about, you know, who, you know what I mean? Like, it does something to you. And so, we all have a rule of life. Everything that we do, is a spiritual discipline because it's forming our spirit. And so we want an intentional rule of life. But that rule of life, that regular life that we're developing, it's a means to an end. And that's something that's really important. Again, this is not a legalistic, this is exactly what you must do. It's a flexible thing. It's a means to an end to say, what are the things in your life as you look at your life, what are habits that you can change? What are things that you can get rid of out of your life? What are things that you can add to your life that will lead you to be a healthier person. Okay? So if we are to be apprentices or disciples of Jesus, if we want the life that Jesus offers, I would submit to you that we need to adopt his lifestyle. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, puts it this way, the way of Jesus is just that, a way of life. I that was a nice, concise way of, of putting it. So uh, he, gets the, he gets the quote there. Um, the way of Jesus is just that, a way of life. And so here's where we get into as we kind of get towards the end of this, is to say this. Wherever you're at right now, whether it's in a reasonably healthy spiritual place or whether your spiritual life is an absolute disaster, here's what I, I, I want to encourage you. It doesn't have to stay that way. Where you're at doesn't have to be where you stay. You can grow. You guys, like, a year, you know, two years ago, my life was not a spiritual disaster area. I just realized it could be a lot better. Like, that's all it was. Again, you don't have to be a disaster to say, like, my life could be better. I could be living more uh, from the vine. I could be learning more from Jesus, being with Jesus and being like him and doing what he did. And so I just want to encourage you guys, where you are is not where you have to be. And so how do I begin to cultivate this life? Here's the thing. Church, you're here, so I don't probably have to tell you that that's important. It is important. Community groups are really important. But here's the thing about those two things. They're a bare minimum. You guys, church and community group, we like talk about those all the time. I just want to say it right now. Those are a bare minimum. And here's why I say it's a bare minimum. It's not because I want to look out at a huge crowd or something like that. You know, it's not because it like makes me feel better. Here's why it's important. Church and community group are bare minimums because we live in a world, again, Target is not the only one who is coming after you and trying to shape you into somebody right? Whether that's a left-leaning newspaper or a right-leaning newspaper, whether that's, um, you know, an Instagram, somebody you follow on Instagram or an influencer, you you know, an unboxing video on YouTube. All of those things are trying to form you into somebody. Something as stupid as that is still trying to form you into somebody to get you to do what they want, right? And so, Honestly, like, church and community group, that's like, what, two hours? 15 minutes, depending on how long I preach? Two hours and 15 minutes? you know, Something like that, a week? Is that really enough to counteract the amount of stuff that's thrown at us on a weekly basis? I'll just answer that for you. No, it's not, it's not. That's why I say it's it's an absolute bare minimum because do you know what the thing is too, why it's important, is that we need to do things together. Change is always easier in a group. It's not easy to change on your own and by yourself, right? It's much easier to change with other people, to hold each other accountable, to do it together. And so taking control of your spiritual formation is important. David Kinnaman in, in Faith for Exile says it this way, those of us who long to keep Jesus at the center of our lives constantly fight the centrifugal force of a world spinning us away from him. We feel that tension, that pressure. And so each Sunday, what we're going to do then is we're going to look at a container of our lives, right? Because otherwise, we have various containers, right? So like the containers that we're going to be looking at specifically are abiding, our mind, our body, our relationships, our rest, our work, our money, gospel, hospitality. Some of you are already like, well, I can skip that week. uh, But no, like we're going to be looking at all of those things and asking how do I and what do I pour into those containers so that I can live this life of being with Jesus, being like Jesus, and doing what he did. And so we're going to start, said next week on that Sunday school thing, calling it I don't, I hate calling it Sunday school because as a kid I never liked going to Sunday school because it meant I had to get up earlier. Um, I don't know. So for me at least it holds like this like, uh Sunday school. Like we're going to be doing, again, the six week class. And what it's going to be is like saying like, let's take everything we're talking about on a Sunday morning. And let's start asking the questions, how do I actually begin to apply it in our lives? And it's more of a conversational uh, thing. We're going to discuss that work together on developing these new and healthier rhythms of life that we can do um, together. And so again, we start where we are and not where you should be. That's always important. Um, I've always made that mistake when I've tried to take up running again, is not starting where I am, but starting where I should be. Um, and so like, you know, I end up like running once and then feeling like death for like the next week and then I just, you know, just kind of fall out of the habit, right? It's, it's the same. Yeah, like, I mean, like, yeah, thank you. I'm not the only one, you know? Like, it is one of those, like, you know, if, if you're a person like that who tends to just like, you know, I'm going to just jump into this and go for it, right? Okay, stop, slow down. Like, let's start implementing this a little bit at a time, right? And maybe you're saying like, I don't have time. Do you know the average person spends two hours and 25 minutes on social media? Maybe you're like, I'm not the average person. Okay, what do you waste time doing? All right, we all find ways to waste time, right? Okay, but again, the average person, two hours and 25 minutes. I thought that was like incredible. Um, If you go back to 2008, by the way, that was like uh, it was like an hour, I think it was, on on social media a day. So so yeah, um, you do have time, but part of it is is also not just adding things to your life, and I already mentioned this, but taking things away, and that's important because many of us, we are busy. That's a legitimate thing. We're busy. Depending on the season of life we're in, depending on our job, depending on all those things, we're busy. And so this isn't just an exercise of going, oh my gosh, like what more am I gonna pile on myself right now? You know, like, because I feel like that, that, that can be what this exercise feels like. That's not what this is. It's also asking the question, what should I take away? Okay? And so, we shape, here's what I'll say. Habits and stories shape who we become because they shape our desires. All right, and this is the final, final example. So I have a friend, and she is, uh, she's a doctor, and one of the things that she, she specialized in is helping people who, have, who are severely obese, like morbidly obese, right? So, and, and because what typically happens for those people is they, you know, they get some sort of surgery, or they get prescribed a medicine, or something like that, And she kind of said, I I don't think that's right, because I don't think it gets down into the deepest issues of why the person has become the way they are. And so we need to start actually treating the person, not just throwing medicine at them, not just giving them some sort of surgery or whatever, but like, let's actually treat the person. And so she works with people, again, who struggle with obesity. And one of the things that she said is that changing one habit, and this is why I say start, don't start where you should be, start where you are. Changing one habit can be the catalyst for a complete life change for a person. So she said, like you know, one of the things she might do is say, hey look, you pass by a McDonald's every single day on your way home from work. What would happen if you didn't stop at McDonald's? Let's change that habit. Stop going to McDonald's. And because again, you're dealing with people who are very overweight, a month later they come back to see her and she's like, how's it going? I haven't eaten at McDonald's. Okay, how you doing? I've lost 30 pounds. One change can make an enormous difference and set us, set things in mo- into motion. Like not eating at McDonald's, or for maybe for us, cutting out one bad spiritual habit and replacing it maybe even with a good one. Like, let's just start there and like see what happens. You start to feel the results, to experience the results. And one of the things that Kate said was: like, think of broccoli, right? People tell you you should eat broccoli. It's good for you. It's healthy, right? Many of us hate broccoli. Maybe some of you love broccoli. I'm kind of like me with broccoli. Okay? Like I can eat it. I know it's good for me. So, okay, fine. Right? Maybe you're like a person, broccoli's the worst thing in the world. You've been told your whole life it's good for you. Alright? And so you then you go, fine, I'll just eat some soup of broccoli. You take a bite of broccoli and you go, I feel the same. <laughs> I think many of us do that with spiritual habits, right? Or with like with a, with our spiritual life. We go, oh, I'm supposed to read my Bible, it's gonna be good for me. I read my Bible one day and it I don't feel any different. Feels the same. OK, think of it like broccoli. Again, it's something we should, OK, if you hate broccoli, don't, think, don't hate the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. Let, see my correlation here, all right? This is where, where I'm going at with, with this. Sometimes my brain uh, doesn't move as fast as my mouth. Um, here's where I'm going with this. In the, long, in the moment, broccoli does nothing to you. But in the long term, it's changing your life. You may not feel any different the moment you eat broccoli, but it's it's good for you. It's literally like a superfood, you know? It's like It is doing something to you even though you don't see it. And I think the spiritual habits, many of them are like that. You'll start them and at first they'll be difficult and you'll be like, why am I even doing this? Like, right, we'll talk about fasting and you're like, no way, what's the point? This is dumb. But then like you realize later as you keep doing it, you're like, actually I think it is doing something to me. It is doing something. And it's that long-term thing, looking at it with the long-term goal, not just the short-term, I don't feel any different right now immediately, but saying in the long-term. All right, now, I'm about ready to stop talking. But here's, here's what I'm gonna say. At the end, I'm gonna put up some book recommendations if you guys are interested, if that's like a thing you enjoy. So at the very end of the service, after all the songs, um, I'll put up some book recommendations, just like five of them. I could give you a lot more, but I just put up uh, five, five book recommendations. Um, if you're a reader and you wanna follow, um, kind of in this path, some books that I found really helpful and one that my wife has found really helpful that I haven't read yet, um, but I trust her judgment, so. Um, and she married me, so, yeah. Maybe you're going like, I'll avoid that book. No, no, So, okay. I just want to finish by saying this. With this spiritual formation, with our lives with Christ, the beginning, the middle, and the end is Jesus. The goal is Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. In Luke chapter 9, verse 24 to 25, Jesus again says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But, for whoever, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So many of us are chasing after things in this world. And what we don't realize is the true prize is Jesus. And the one who will bring us to that prize is Jesus. The beginning, the middle, and the end is Jesus, and he is worth giving up everything for. The secret to finding life is giving it to Jesus and coming to know and to obey the Master. Remain in me, Jesus says, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Some of your translations may say abide, and that's because the word there in the Greek is this idea of making your dwelling or your home in. And that's what we are to do. We live from the vine. And as we take communion, come to a time of of communion, we take communion, we celebrate the vine and how we've been grafted in as branches in that vine. Jesus offers us his easy yoke. He offers life and life to the full. And as we come to the Lord's table, as we come to communion, we taste and we see that the Lord is good. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father,